Welcome to BSF. My name is Vicki, and we are going to be studying the second part of Matthew 13 tonight. So let's pray and we will dig right on in. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, give us hearts and eyes and ears that can respond rightly and well to your to your son's word. And uh, Father, I, I pray that you would not only help us to understand with our minds, but that our um, that our lives would be shaped. That uh, where you in the places where you have us, for all those within the sound of my voice, that these minutes would have eternal impact. That we would live more as more submitted, more gladly submitted servants of Jesus and reflecting His character. We pray in His powerful name. Amen. So, one December, I went on a road trip to Florida, and when I packed the car, I guess my head was already in Florida, so um, I packed shorts and uh, t-shirts and um, sunny colors, sunscreen, but I did not pack gloves or a hat or a shovel or boots or a sleeping bag or emergency rations. And of course, you can imagine that driving from Missouri in North America down to Florida in the middle of December, um, there could be times where clear weather would make that have gone just fine. Um, That 15-hour trip would go without a hitch. But alas, as you probably already guessed, there was a different outcome. Um, History is the final interpreter of our preparation And there was a huge blizzard in Kentucky and Tennessee, and I got stuck. Uh, The trip was derailed. I had to drive way down into, you know, a different way and around. And um, thankfully, there was no lasting injury. Um, God taught me some lessons about my plans and my preparation in that time. Um, And one of the things he did teach me was that... um, what happened on that trip, my preparation was revealed to be insufficient and um, frivolously optimistic. Uh, As most humans want, we want to be prepared for the future. And the problem is that we in our humanness lack the ability to control the future, and we have very, very limited insight into what the future holds. And we've seen these realities, or at least I have, maybe you have, in the, uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, yet the, f- the future will provide the interpretive key of our lives. We will be able to look back um, when five years from now or 10 years from now or 50 years from now and uh, evaluate the decisions and the choices that we made. Um, did we prepare well? Um, did we live well? Were our priorities short-sighted? Um, what mistakes did we make? Um, And in the book of Matthew that we've seen after um, the brief opening of Jesus' identity and origin in the first couple of chapters, God's kingdom has come. It has been inaugurated, first was announced by John the Baptist, but then uh, manifest, proclaimed, and evidenced by Jesus in his earthly ministry, and uh, did that with authoritative, wise teaching and also powerful compassion to heal, um, to restore, to redeem. And um, as Matthew portrays, these glimpses of God's kingdom suggest both hope and warning. If the fullness, if God's kingdom is coming, 
and we are getting a glimpse of it, of its true reality, if it keeps coming, as the Matthew, the book of Matthew would suggest, um, throughout the Bible would suggest, and if it continues to manifest in the in the ways that uh, Jesus has manifested it uh, to reflect the values of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, His compassion, His mercy, His justice, His holiness, uh, His love for truth, His care of widows and orphans, um, His his uh un uh his un his inability or uh unwillingness to make peace with um human systems of convenience or human ideas about reputation or priorities or importance um if that kingdom continues to come there is a future reality where that kingdom will have fully come and um, our lives will be seen in light of what that is. And this is a message of hope and warning. And hope, if God is, if God is kingdom is coming just like that, he was going to fix everything that's broken and wrong with this world um, inside our hearts and outside. But there's also great warning because Jesus' ministry reveals consistently a big gap. Um, between God's heart and the human heart, um, God's priorities and human priorities. If God's kingdom is coming, there is a future that we still have time to prepare for, coming face to face with God. Will you be ready when he calls your name? Will I be ready when my life is laid bare before him? Um, if I have made light of him, if you have spurned his priorities, if we have done things that he sees as wrong, is there some way that can prepare us to fare well in that future crisis? And I recently heard someone speak about that uh, who said Christians are those who have prepared for that future crisis by trusting in Christ, not because of anything that we have done, that we are lovely, that we have uh, impressed Him, but because God is compassionate and He is pleased with everything that Christ has done. And so, we can find uh, God's provision of grace and refuge in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is God's coming kingdom reality. God is gathering a people to Himself in Christ, recreating them to hear and see and respond to Him with loving trust and to be recalibrated to live in the kingdom wholeheartedly under God's good authority. Um, and so, uh, that is the call and the hope, but we have seen throughout the book of Matthew and even culminating in these last chapters, um, in chapter 12, where we saw what will prove to be the turning point, that not everyone responds favorably to Jesus's ministry and his message. Um, there's another group of people who pr prove unwilling and unable to accept God's kingdom revealed in Jesus. And um, in this context, here we are in Matthew 13, our second week, and it's the third of five major teaching discourses in Matthew. Um, Jesus is teaching about the secrets of God's kingdom, the life where God rules and reigns, but he is also explaining this mixed response, people who respond favorably and well, and people who respond hostily um, and do not 
receive the truth. And he's teaching solely in chapter 13 in parables. Parables conceal God's truth from the unresponsive while simultaneously revealing God's truth to those who by God's grace have ears to hear. So they conceal and reveal at the same time for these two groups. Uh, We should say, however, the Bible informs us uh, that any of us can hear and respond to Jesus' words with right understanding, um, with right repentance, is God's grace. It is a miracle um, when we see and value Jesus and his wisdom. Um, That is clear evidence of his work, his Holy Spirit's work, um, and evidence that our King, our coming King, is compassionate. He looks on us in our desperate need and extends his redemption to a remnant that we may be prepared for the coming crisis. Uh, We cannot be prepared to give account before God without hearing and understanding Jesus. Jesus invites us to freely take refuge in him. Um, So, last week, we uh, that's what I think we can learn. it's about preparing and it's about responding to to Jesus, um, knowing that his kingdom is coming for certain. So, last week in Matthew 13, we studied uh, the first part and then a little bit of the middle part. And so, um, it's a little bit odd this week because we're not moving strictly linearly. Um, we studied last week the two longer story parables, the parable of the sower that sits over all of, of Matthew 13. Um, and there, we also studied uh, beyond Jesus' explanation of why he's teaching in parables and the explanation of the the parable of the sower, we also studied the parable of the weeds, which is another longer parable that Jesus also explained. And so, we studied those. Um, there, So, those are two parables. Matthew 13 has actually seven parables in it. That's a significant number. It's carefully structured. Um, Matthew is a, is a master structurer, and they're grouped by length and theme. They're presented in two physical scenes. Um, the first 35 verses in chapter 13, if you look and open up your Bibles, um, turn them on, that um, verses 1 to 35 appear to be outside. Um, Jesus is teaching on the lake to the crowds who have gathered to him. Um, so, it opens in 1 to 3, and we get the summary in 34 and 35. Now, there's a little section in the middle, verses 10 through 23, where he has, seems to have a side conversation with disciples, but this is an outside conversation. And then, Matthew tells us he moves inside, verses 36 to 52. Um, he's inside, and he teaches three more parables and the explanation of the parable of the weeds. Um, so, then the last part of 13 is an illustrative, um, the teaching has ended, but there's a, an example of, of an event that happened that illustrates this teaching in Matthew 13 or kicks off um, the illustration. And so, you can see there's this uh, inside and outside tension. There's a physical inside and outside, or outside and inside, and there's also groups in the parables 
the, the, in the parable audiences of outsiders who do not understand and insiders who, by God's grace, have his help um, to understand. So we are going to um, – we're going to focus on the um, – the again the verses that we didn't cover last week the new verses but we're going to think about um we're going to think about the holes together the first four parables are operate in the frame of farming those are the outside parables and cuz you think even flour there's seeds and sowing the flour in the in the bread dough verse 33 is the product of the farming um and so the next three parables on the inside seem to use a different frame of business or financial, and they're connected by the theme of value. The first four are connected by the theme of growth. Um, and the last uh, is not technically, I suggest to you, a, a parable, verse uh, 52, but rather a simile. It's sort of an epilogue, a so what, about um, what do we do now? <laughs> insiders who are ungrowing in their understanding and understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, what are we supposed to do with that? Um, and so, uh, which juxtaposes against um, the, uh, the illustration that happens um, in verses 53 to 58. So, um, that's going to be our outline that we're going to follow. We're going to look at the outside verses, we're going to look at the inside verses, and then we're going to look at the illustration um, in Jesus' hometown. So, that's um, verses 1 to 35, Jesus teaches outside, outsiders outside about kingdom growth. And then 36 to 52, Jesus teaches insiders inside about kingdom value. And then uh, 53 to 58, Jesus' teaching is illustrated in um, his hometown. So, open your Bibles again if you haven't done that already. We're going to, um, just last week, we're going to jump into our first uh, division. Jesus taught outsiders um, outside about kingdom growth. And of course, his disciples were there too, but they didn't, uh, the disciples don't seem like they're, um, well, they have that section in there, but, um, okay, sorry. Um, let's go on. I get, I digress. Um, the last, okay, so we studied the verse 1 to 30 last week, um, in this first division and, uh, verses 31 to 35, we have left to do. And so there are two parts in that, and we'll cover two short parables, again, with a theme of growth and a summary section. So, 31 to 34 is where we're going to pick up. Um, two parables of mysterious growth over time, the mustard seed and the yeast. And both of these seem to illustrate the amazing contrast between tiny, humble beginnings and a mighty end. Um, these closing two parables and the outs and that he's giving when he's on the lake um, or to the crowds, he does. Jesus does not uh, offer then or elsewhere an explanation for those. Um, and we'll see that later, too, with the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Um, and I trust that that's not an accident. Jesus left these uninterpreted for a reason. Um, perhaps it was to engage us, to train us into thinking, to encourage us into right response. Um, just so, just say up front, I do not have all the answers. Um, beware um, when Jesus doesn't interpret a parable. Um, we will. We need his help. We cannot be dogmatic about 
um, something that he has not made clear. So let's uh, let's read thirty one to thirty two. The first one of these. The, um, then he told them another parable. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Um, and so the mustard plant, again, starts out very small. And I, what I read, it can grow to be 8 to 12 feet or even taller. There's room enough in it for birds. And so it suggests that Jesus is saying um, the kingdom of heaven has small and insignificant beginnings, but a majestic end. And this, of course, overturns our normal human thinking, which thinks that great things should have great beginnings. Um, the man planting, planting the mustard seed seems intentional and purposeful, um, and perhaps represents God establishing his kingdom. It's a good thing. What are the birds about? Um, that's unclear. It could be like the previous parable, the parable of the weeds, that the birds represent the threat of the enemy that's infiltrated the uh, the kingdom of heaven. Or it could be that uh, as other other imagery elsewhere, especially in Ezekiel and Isaiah, that there is ample refuge for um, all all nations to seek shelter within the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, which is not just open to Israel, but to all people who would respond favorably um, to Christ. So, uh, going on to verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. And again, this emphasizes a small thing intentionally, but mysteriously being used to permeate um, having a massive influence. Is the yeast bad or good? So, in your groups, I hope you got a chance to talk about that. Uh, it can, often in scripture, yeast or leaven does symbolize evil. The threat of, and so it could mean the threat of evil within the kingdom of God. Or I suggest to you, it could also illustrate the positive and relentless expansion, mysterious expansion of God's kingdom, um, working small in small ways, uh, though not fully visible, but with a, a positive impact and a fruitfulness that is. Uh, that can feed many. And so, the woman making bread here is making bread with about nine gallons of flour. Uh, That's about 47 pounds of flour, enough for 100 people. Um, is what I the estimate that I read. So any woman who would be doing that, um, certainly in the first century where there aren't any preservatives, was planning a feast. There was a feast or a large group of people um, to share. This was a there was a an idea of hospitality latent in this parable. And so, verse 34 to 35, uh, we close this section. Uh, Matthew returns to a narrative, and he gives us a summary. Verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So, it emphasizes Jesus' completeness and purposefulness in teaching through that method to reveal and to conceal. And uh, Matthew goes on with a fulfillment um, uh, with a fulfillment statement, verse 35, so was fulfilled that 
what was f- spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So this fulfillment statement, Matthew is saying, this is a confirmation of who Jesus is, that he is the promised Messiah that God sent, um, and that he would be one to know the hidden things because Jesus as we have learned through scripture, is eternal. He had no beginning. He has no end. And so he knows the hidden things um, from the creation of the world, and he would yet be the one to manifest at a certain time those mysteries, um, those hidden realities to a remnant of of, um, those that God would draw to himself. And um, so a principle I think that we can learn from this division is that – no matter what, Jesus will keep growing God's kingdom. Growth is guaranteed in God's kingdom. Um, Jesus will keep growing God's kingdom. God's purposes will not be thwarted. And even though it might seem like the kingdom is in danger, maybe through places in this world today where there's physical persecution, even unto death for believers in Jesus, or where there's complacency or apostasy um, among maybe places like in North America where there is not over-persecution necessarily, but um, just complacency. Uh, Even though we might see these things and say, oh no, this is in danger, Um, God is not going to win. His kingdom is not going to win. Dear friends, Jesus is teaching through these parables, um, making it clear, clearer than it would be otherwise, that he is not going to allow his kingdom growth to stop. Um, So, no matter what, Jesus will grow his kingdom. What's our application? Expect growth. Um, what is that going to look like in the kingdom of God? It Growth seems like it includes numeric, that there are new people who are coming into the kingdom or new people who are awakening or um, being revived uh, and, and see, following God in new ways. Um, growth can also be, however, uh, qualitative, uh, a deepening of faith, a, a lived reality of, of greater love for Jesus, a greater compassion for, for people on whom he would have compassion, a greater love for his truth and his word. Um, and both of those things, anytime God's kingdom is growing, this is God doing it. It's God's work. Will you ask eyes, ask God for eyes to see um, his kingdom growing in the places where he wants you to behold it. And when you see it grow, um, will you ask him, uh, or I could say, how have you grown? How has he grown you? How has he grown your church? How has he grown um, the ministries and the kingdom in the places where you've had vantage to see it? And will you thank him for that? Um, thank him for his investment, his protection, and ask him for patience and trust when the way forward seems dim. Um, we cannot be prepared to give account before God without hearing and understanding Jesus, who invites us freely to take refuge in him. God's kingdom will grow, and we need to hold on to that promise and not let it go. Um, that will give us hope as we face uh, troubles in this world. 
Okay, going on to our second division, 36 to 52, we're going to be focusing on um, the verses 44 to 52, which are new to us this week. But Jesus is teaching inside. He's inside a house. Whose house? He doesn't say. Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us in verse 36. Presumably an insider's um, a disciple, someone who loves Jesus. And we that started after he left the crowds and went to the house, verse 36. We got we studied the explanation of the parable of the weeds, um, which he gave generously to those who asked him. His disciples explained to us the parable of weeds. And um, I loved what Brett had to sh- say about that, that our hearts need to seek after Jesus. Um, Jesus doesn't just tell us the answers because that's not good for us. The healthy heart needs to grow in seeking after Jesus and his truth and his kingdom to hunger and thirst for righteousness um, and trust that will not be in vain and to depend on him. So, we're then we're going to close, we're going to look at the second part of this section, uh, verses 44 to 52, um, with the theme of kingdom worth. This has three parts, 44 to 52. We're going to see again uh, two short little parables. We're going to see a long parable, the parable of the net, which in many ways parallels the parable of the weeds. And then there's a little epilogue um, where Jesus is saying basically uh, what what should be disciples take away from that. But let's start off with the two short little parables of hidden value, the parables of the treasure and the pearl merchant. Um, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. At that time, there were not banks or lockboxes. And so, if you had something valuable, people would often keep it safe by burying it. And of course, over time or things happen, um, treasures would get lost and people would, uh, would have forgotten about them. And so, in this parable, it seems as if the man was not looking for the treasure. He just happened to be in the field and wow, there it was. Um, but notice that he wanted to have this treasure in the right way. He didn't just uh, steal the treasure from a field that wasn't his. He hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Um, He secured it in the legal way, um, but there was definitely a time where he evaluated and he went away and um, did the legal transaction and presumably came back in the fullness of joy. Um, the second parallel, parallel parable, verse 44 to 46, uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. So here we have not someone who is just happens upon, but he's looking and he's an expert, presumably. So when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And uh, this, again, um, just like the first, emphasizes the hidden value, the evaluative process, the willingness to pay, and the, and, the, and the willingness to do the right thing, to secure it legally and rightly. Um, in interpreting these parables, there are two possible viewpoints. Um, the first is that the treasure or the thing of value is Christ, and that in that case, the buyer would be a person or the church, collect believers collectively, that once it Christ is seen, um, Christ had been previously hidden, but the 
the treasure of him is seen and realized, um, the the perceiver there, the believer or believers, reorder their priorities according to Christ, this priceless treasure, and uh, wholeheartedly leave behind everything that they had to follow him. Um, the second possible viewpoint is about uh, where the treasure or the pearl is actually believers or the church. And in this case, the buyer would be God, that he would love and value this treasure so much that he would be willing to sacrifice his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem her rightly and legally so she could be spotless and blameless before him. Um, both in, of these interpretations reflect solid biblical principles from Scripture, and I loved thinking about how um, they both illustrate the mutual love of God for His people and the love that God is growing in His people for Him and His Son, Jesus. Of course, God's love for His people is perfect, and our love for Him is imperfect, and yet he is perfecting it and it won't it's not perfect now but it will be um when we see him face to face uh and so the the third parable of this section so the um the seventh in this chapter so the culmination parable is to to insiders it's the parable of the net of fish and also a short interpretation in verses 49 to 50 and so here in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. And so, um, Jesus was just out on the lake. So, and some of these disciples presumably were probably fishermen. They understood that. Um, and there, there's a time where the net is cast out and dragged, um, or fish are allowed to come inside. And then when the net is full, so there's a fullness of time element, the fish are sorted. And perhaps the good and bad fish were per Jewish law, that fish without fins and scales were unclean, and so perhaps those are the ones who would be thrown away. But either way, there is some evaluation that these fishermen use to separate um, the good fish that they're going to keep in baskets, presumably to be used or sold, um, in right relation, what good fish should be used for, and then the bad fish are thrown away. Um, And Jesus interprets this parable as he did with the parable of the weeds um, earlier in the verses earlier, um, verses 42, uh, 43, that this is a time of gathering. Um, There's a hiddenness um, that's happening or a time of growth. So, there's a time. And then at the end of this time will come a final judgment when people under the authority of Jesus will be separated um, by the angels, God's God's agents. Um, In verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels. Presumably, that's the same thing that happens um, in verse 49, that uh, those angels then are going to separate not fish, but people. And um, the there will be wicked and righteous, and the righteous ones uh, are not commented upon there, uh, presumably like they will be verse like verse forty three, 
the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Um, and then the wicked, like above in uh, 42, they will be thrown in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, the language of cursing um, and agony. Uh, this is not um, something, again, that people like to hear, um, but hard truth is still truth. And um, Jesus repeatedly says, not just here, but throughout uh, the gospel, all four gospels, that judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. Does it matter if your life, if my life pleases God? And uh, this suggests, yes, there is a coming judgment and you and I should be preparing for it now. We would be wise to do that. The end of time offers an, an interpretive grid as to what goes before it. So, just like in my, because there was a snowstorm on my trip to Florida, um, that helped me interpret my packing as foolish. And so, if Jesus, what Jesus says about the final judgment is true, nothing in your life will matter more than him, more than um, your, did you, uh, were you res- able to respond in faith to him and his offer of grace? And this, as he's talking about it, Jesus, this is, we've had 2,000 years of warning um, for, uh, as an act of God's grace to warn us of this preparation, giving time to hear and respond. If I had known that there was a, there was going to be a snowstorm, I should have prepared for it. I actually didn't no, well, that that's probably not actually totally true. I found out of that day that there was going to be a snowstorm. I thought I could, I don't know, get around it, but that wasn't wise. Like if when you find out about there's a the future reality and you trust the source, you should make preparations and change what you need to change. Um because we cannot be prepared to give account before God without hearing and understanding Jesus, who invites us freely to take refuge in Him. Okay, so the last two verses of these uh, of this chapter, Jesus concludes with a question, and He offers uh, another simile. You could interpret it as a parable. Um, if so, that would be the eighth of the chapter. And He asks them, verse 51, Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked, Yes, they replied, and you and I might chuckle about that because, as we know, uh, later on, the disciples are going to be shown to be continually pretty clueless, that they don't understand. Um, Did they understand all these things? Um, I mean, strictly speaking, probably not, and yet they did understand. They were growing in understanding, and you can look at verse 16 and 17. Jesus says, they hear and see, and they're blessed because of it, and they're responding rightly. So, they don't understand everything, but they understand some. And you can see Jesus doesn't correct them. He does not scorn small steps of faith. And so, I just want to say that to encourage um, experienced Bible scholars, but also brand new ones. If you were new to studying the Bible, uh, you Jesus is not scorning you for what you do not know. Um, He is interested in growth, in understanding, in a heart that is willing to hear and grow. Um, 
And so with that understanding comes responsibility, and that seems to be the point in 52. And he says to them, therefore, every teacher of the law, or the Greek word uh, could be a scribe, or it could represent just a person who's learned, who has been learning. Um, Every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, i.e. them, right, the disciples, those insiders, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Um, The old here could refer to promises of the Old Testament, realities, truths that God had revealed in the Old Testament, and the new could be uh, what Jesus has been revealing uh, in, in this time in his ministry. But as a homeowner, um, to possess something, notice that they don't hoard it, but they bring it out. Uh, they bring it out of his storeroom and um, presumably for their own good and for the good of those living in the home. Um, but also, I suggest to you for those outside of it, the verb that's used there is a verb that symbolizes dramatic action. In fact, one of the times recently it has been used um, in Matthew is when Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. And so that's that same to send out, that he will send out the treasures, um, bring out the treasures, old and new. It suggests that there is a hospitality. Uh, Just as Jesus did not keep to a holy huddle, Uh, He displayed radical, compassionate hospitality and extended um, his truth, kingdom truth of Jesus, um, to to, uh, those who weren't strictly insiders. They were outsiders. Um, So, a principle I think that we can learn from this division is that those truly hearing Jesus' word will grow to reflect his priorities. Those hearing Jesus' word rightly grow to reflect his priorities. God's kingdom has an economy of values, and we must learn to live by it. Um, My brother loves to play games. Christmas, in fact, means playing games with my brother, and because my brother loves particularly new games, it means that I get to learn new games, which if you have played with someone like that, playing new games means you are entering into the world of the game and you're learning and adopting the priorities according to the game's economy. Um, Is it wise to trace three wheat for one brick? Um, Do you try for the longest road or the greatest army? Um, You know, all these different questions, you have to evaluate those within an economy of the game. And similarly, but in a much, you know, more important, obvious way, following Jesus means to learn to replace your values with his kingdom values. Um, And so I wonder, what is your heart value? What brings you joy? What is worth a great cost? And how do your values align with King Jesus' values? How has he been shaping you to love what he loves and to value what he values? And if you are one who is a hearer by his grace, that you hear and understand, and he is, he is bearing fruit in your life, uh, showing that you are good soil, I suggest to you that there will all almost, well, until we see him face to face, there is going to be a gap between your current set of values that he is changing and his values, meaning that there's space for growth. So, where do you think Jesus 
is intending your heart to grow, to be in line with his values and priorities. And what um, what will you do about that? Will you ask him? Um, we cannot be prepared to give an account before God in the coming judgment without hearing and understanding Jesus, without being shaped by him to love what he loves. Um, and Jesus freely invites us to take refuge in him. Okay, so our last uh, section, actually the teaching part ends at this, and Matthew signals that for, in verse 53 by this phrase, when Jesus had finished these parables, so we're entering a new section of narrative that we will continue on um, next week into 14 and beyond. Um, and so, where was I? Okay, so this illustrates Jesus in verses 53 to 58. Jesus is rejected by his own hometown, but it illustrates the teaching that we have seen in the teaching discourse in Matthew 13 earlier. And so, when Jesus taught in his hometown, um, Matthew is telling us that uh, he began teaching the people in their synagogues, verse 54, they were amazed. Um, so, that's their first response. That sounds good at first, right? Um, and then, however, they asked all these questions, where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers? They ask, isn't this a carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did they? this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And so, um, even though his hometown people, so this should be an insider place. There should be a ticker tape parade. There should be people running out and greeting Jesus and wanting to hear what he's saying um, and clinging to him, um, you know, accepting him. Um, there's something he they cannot get beyond, it seems, his specific humanity. They knew his family. And maybe they expected if he were actually from God that he would come from great beginnings and not have... Um, you know, a carpenter, uh, you know, earthly father or adopted father that his, they wouldn't be able to, you know, see and know all of his brothers all around town and his sisters. Um, what they do not understand is Jesus' glory includes great humility and the smallest beginnings as we learned in the, in the two parables starting in verse 31, um, familiarity with Jesus can sometimes breed contempt. Jesus is the son of David. He is God's anointed. He is the king of kings. And he is a king according to God's standard and God's timing, not theirs. He does not need their endorsement to be who he is. But this informs the point of division. So we've seen these two groups, um, those who hear and respond rightly um, and the others who do not. Um, we saw that in the soils. We saw that throughout in these these seven parables in chapter 13. The point of the division in this div divide is Jesus himself. And we can see that in verse 57 of the, the verse, uh, sorry, the verb, and they took offense at him. And that Greek word is one that it's like they stumbled over him. They were scandalized by him. Um, and so, we have to be willing 
to re- the response of she- seeing should be amazement, but it should be unto thanksgiving and the worship of God, and to accept that it is God's prerogative to reveal Himself in the way He wants, not our. He doesn't have to meet our expectations. That is the point. This should lead us to thanksgiving and worship of God. Jesus is the one who enables us to return to God, um, to that we could be cleansed of our sin based on not our own righteousness, but on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his blood-bought sacrifice, that we can trust in that and trust that all of our sins and unrighteousness have been nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. And his resurrection testifies to that. Um, And so, now Jesus has made us new, those who respond to him, who trust in him, and he enables us to be the kind of people, have the kind of hearts that gladly live in his kingdom, even though it doesn't meet our human expectations of what that would be. And so, we see as a response, um, <clears throat> just as the parables had revealing and concealing, we see a um, an interpretation that Jesus gives um, in the for 57b, but then a concealing. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Um, so, I think a lesson that we can learn from this is that proximity to Jesus does not guarantee right response to him. Proximity to Jesus does not guarantee right response to him. It does not guarantee intimacy intimacy with Jesus. And I wonder, um, did you look at these hometown people like I did and shake their heads and think, you know, come on people, this, how could you, how could you reject Jesus? He is like, (laughs) he's right there. And yet, how often do I find Jesus inconvenient or his words offensive um, by what he's saying or commanding or expecting of me? And when I am expecting offended by Jesus. And when you are offended by Jesus, if you are, what does that really say about what we value, what we prioritized? Um, Will you ask the Lord to help you respond, to see him, um, to help your heart not grow cold with familiarity? And I tell you what, dear friends, especially we here we are in Bible Study Fellowship our heart is to spend time with Jesus, to know Him through His Word, and yet sometimes our hearts grow cold. We need His help. Is that you? If it is, will you pray? Will you repent of that and ask Him to give you new freshness, um, a new love for Him, new ears to hear, um, that He would open your ears um, we open by thinking about preparing with the future, and I, I will say COVID has definitely been a time of testing um, where it's it's strange, and there's a lot of tension and polarization. Um, it I will suggest that the future of God's return will be the final interpreter of our actions. Um, I have not made... Uh, consistently wise choices that are in line with uh, God's values and priorities throughout the COVID pandemic. Um, And yet, in His grace, um, He is allowing us, me, to learn from those mistakes and to keep 
trusting that he's growing his kingdom even in this time, that he is shaping the values of those who hear and respond to him. Um, will you ask for him to help you to do that this week, even though um, it's, these are strange times and we need his help. Of course we need his help. Um, but especially in light of future judgment, um, that we want the Lord to say, "Good and well done, good and faithful servant." Um, will you ask Him to help us help you understand what your life should look like this week um, toward that end? Please pray with me, Lord. Uh, thank you so much for this time that we've had together. Um, will you continue, please, to pour out your grace? Uh, our hearts are inclined to be cold or to grow cold. Um, even though we are familiar with you, help us, Father, to see you freshly, to hear Jesus' words of warning um, with gladness that you would fill our hearts with worship and thanksgiving for your kindness and compassion. And will f- you, Lord, um, for each of us who are within the sound of my voice, including myself, show us this week uh, at least one thing that is out of step with your kingdom priorities in our heart or our lives, and help us, give us your courage and power by your Spirit to turn and to be filled, um, to reflect Jesus uh, more fully in that way, in that space. Um, We pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Have a good week, dear friends.